Welcome to another edition of Vision of Zion. I have again with me my guest, Sean White. Hello, Sean. Hi, Craig. Earlier today, we did the Isaiah chapter 6. Today, we're going to do Isaiah 15. This is one of the ones that Sean has uh, notes for while he continues to work on Isaiah chapter 7. If my voice sounds a little wiped out, it's because it is. We've been talking for quite a while before, during, and after the last podcast. We've been talking almost ever since the last one ended, but we want to get this down because our goal is to get them all out as soon as we can, and we have the time today, being a Saturday, to do more than one. So, Sean, I'll begin reading the head note, and then we'll go down, all right? Okay. Okay. Isaiah 15, in parentheses, the second seal. Head note. When in one night, R, A-R, is devastated, Moab shall be silenced. <clears throat> when in one night, Kir, K-I-R, is raised, Moab shall be destroyed. That's verse one. So, so we're talking about places here, Sean. We're talking about really conflicts that happened in Isaiah's day that he was trying to warn them about, and they mirror the conflicts that we have today in front of us. So anciently in the Bible, Moab was often in conflict with its Israelite neighbors to the west. Today, Moab is speaking of Ar, which represents the capital city of Moab at that time. In Numbers uh, 21, 15, and the stream of the brooks that goeth down to the dwelling of Ar lieth upon the border of Moab. Verse 28, there is a fire gone out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Shion that hath consumed Ar of Moab, and the lords of the high places of Ar Anarn, A-R-N-O-N. So today we could look and then it goes on. I'm going to, in one night, the city is devastated. And you, in this land shall be silenced when in one night it is razed to overthrow or level to the ground. Raz, as I looked up, was to overthrow or level to the ground. Yeah, the word raised, R A Z E D. Okay. Sorry, my pronunciation is often not good. That's and, okay. Just for the audience, it isn't a place. That's the word raised. Okay. And shall be destroyed. So today, as we look around us and see conflict, as we're winding up to the last days and the events, we could see many conflicts here and there. We could look for land northward, and uh, we'll see more clues in here as we go through as to where these cities laid. But you have to go back in these verses. I was surprised to the actual story of what was happening around Isaiah and you end up having to read many sections of the Bible to understand what was happening. So we'll see more as we go on here. So you said that Moab, just so I'm clear, because I didn't look this up on the map, is you said Israelite neighbors to the west. So it doesn't have many neighbors to the west because there's the Mediterranean Sea, but it does have, I know, wasn't the, weren't the Philistines west? Of, wasn't that west of Israel? This it is, was. It's, I think... We probably should focus to more more today 
on uh, other lands and things, just like many times he was paralleling a conflict that happened there with the Israelites. But today we have the children of Israel spread all over the world, you know, and we have, like the United States, really houses a lot of the House of Ephraim. And so do many European countries have really a strong sense of the House of Ephraim. And of course, we see a lot of uh, the lineage of David and and the Jews and everything of Judah in Israel, but we have them spread all over the world too. So as we focus on conflict today and try to focus ourselves on how this conflict is going, I think we can see the bigger picture. So just to recap, <clears throat> things I've said in the past that seem to apply here, uh, Isaiah is born and is preaching primarily to the people in the Northern Kingdom, which is Israel. And as I, my research, I haven't dug it up again yet, but as I recall, the Israelites in the northern kingdom were also known as Ephraimites. I don't know why, maybe because they became a dominant tribe, you know, among the 10 tribes that were up there. But just want to point that out. And if you exactly. disagree, let me know. But that's what those, those were my. Well, it's interesting uh, that in Ezra, uh, we get a really wonderful picture in second Esdras as the 10 tribes were led out of by the king of Assyria northward captive all of a sudden the springs dried up on the Euphrates and they crossed the Euphrates and uh, were able to escape the king of Assyria and from that point where they crossed the Euphrates they walked for 1.5 years and we think today of how far Salt Lake is and from Nauvoo that's about uh, 1140 miles if i remember right and um we did that in four months so how far could they walk in a year and a half going northward hmm. until the lord opened up a land in which he could hide them and stuff so i as second hester gives us wonderful clues the other thing i wanted to point out sean was again i believe it's what you're saying and I've said this before, based on probably what I read from Avraham Gilyadi back in the early 90s, which is this, that you've got a bunch of clippings of current events, let's say, like a newspaper. And Isaiah is taking these battles, he's taking these tensions and dynamics between various nations, and he's creating a story with using the terms and countries of the day, and he's putting it together for us, which is a modern story. Exactly. Okay. Next verses, two and three. They will go up to the sanctuaries and in Dibon, to the hills shrine, to the hill shrines, to weep. They will wail in Moab over Nebo and Mediba. Every head shall be bald, every beard cut off, probably signs of mourning, they will wear sackcloth openly on the housetops and in the streets they will gather they were all together wail and give way to weeping so we could say that after moab was destroyed and they're overtaken here uh that they head to their sacred places i mean that's probably where i would go too i mean they're going to a temple-like site or a synagogue or a church and they're weeping and they're like so mournful that they've been overthrown and like god what do we do where do we go now we're we're under siege completely they've completely overtaken us and um so everybody from all 
four corners of Moab goes to mourn. Shaving one's head and beard represents a loss of one one's identity. Um, sackcloth is coarse woven material of goat's hair. It's very uncomfortable to wear, and it's very itchy, as I've talked to others wearing it. And Moabite capital at that time was Dibion. Now, I'm going to be a little bit bold here to help us try to understand or compare this to what could be happening in our world today. Let's say, for instance, we're watching the, this plug war going on in Ukraine. They have the capital city of Kiev. Now, in Kiev, they have amazing monastery. It was They started out in a cave, and then they built the monastery around it. Beautiful, beautiful monastery. And this uh, monastery was built in 1051. And they have so many beautiful relics in there and gold statues of Christ and everything. Their Bible, uh, the, this is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. And their Bible, as I have read it and everything, is so close to ours. It's just a few little words here and there, but their Bible is the same as ours, surprisingly. And they have their whole set of prophets and things that I have read, many of their prophecies. And they are so comparable. We ought to almost spend a day just going through these prophecies and comparing them to Isaiah's prophecies from their prophets because they saw many of the same things. So, for instance, if we were to look at Ukraine as this is an example today, we could see the capital city of Kiev, and they went up to there to mourn. And there are several shrines in Kiev, you know, built on hillsides over the river and stuff that are absolutely amazing. Besides the the one that's built over this cave, there's the the monastery of St. Michael, and it's on men's only to honor Michael because all these Russian Orthodox people believe that Michael is the one that guided them northward. And you can, you know, here in America, you really can't have a church without having a cross to symbolize Christ and everything. That's just the symbol of Christianity in Russian Orthodox and everything. You can't have a church without Michael. They even have a special chest in one area, and it's all that Michael will receive one day when they come. Michael comes to get them again. But they're so in honor that Michael guided them up to this area of safety. Very interesting parallels <clears throat> we can think about today. Wow, that that's a lot of food for thought, and I think it is worthwhile to see if these prophecies or if modern events, current events, are fitting into these things. Uh, so, for example, in the last few days or a couple of weeks, there's things I've heard. I really can't say I've read all the news, but there are reports that uh, President Zelensky is trying to, I don't know what the right word is, evacuate the, the church leadership of that Ukrainian church mm -hmm. in Kiev, right? And... Uh, Send them actually, and I there's some rebellion going on. I saw a couple days ago, people are marching or striking or whatever the right word is, protesting. I guess in November he sent the army in and gathered up many of the relics out of the cave, the statues, the paintings, and everything out of that monastery. That's the head of the all the Russian Orthodox religion, which includes many people in Ukraine and the branches of that there. And then now I forget the date by, but if those monks or those, uh, I forget, they call their priests seraphs, don't leave by a certain date, they're going to arrest them. And they're saying, 
this is our duty and everything. Come arrest us. We're not leaving right. our post. So it's kind of scary when you cast out the righteous from among you, which is prophesied in other scriptures, you are ripe for destruction. So anywhere we look or see, we want to watch for when they cast out the righteous because we know, oh my gosh, the Lord's probably going to destroy that city. He's done it in the past. What is the purpose for the president, the secular government, uh, evicting them from the church. I can't make sense of what he's trying to do because he thinks that they are Russian spies and they're aiding the Russians. When in reality, I think that there's such a hatred for religion and what religion brings. And of course you can't control a country or shift a country unless you get rid of the believers in Christ, which will happen in every country, including us. There's a war against us Christians to get rid of us. So, it's terrible. I mentioned uh, in the podcast that I can't publish because I probably read too much from copyrighted material instead of sampling from it or just commenting on it or giving a review. So I, I can't publish it. But it was still a good exercise for me because I was reading through many things. And one of them, oh, gee, one of them was uh, Genesis 18, where the Lord is going to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is concerned about it. I think it's Abraham or Genesis 18. Yeah. And uh, I'll just summarize it because you said you talked about casting out the righteous. And when that happens, it doesn't bode well for the, for the wicked. In fact, it's a really dumb move if you're wicked to get rid of the righteous. Because here Abraham says, uh, if there's 50 left, Lord, would you save the city? If there were 50 righteous people in the city, would you spare it? Or says, yes. Okay, <clears throat> what about five less? What about 45? And he goes down and down. And he goes down to 10 people. He says, Lord, if there's 10 people, and the Lord says, I will not destroy it for 10's for sake. So yeah, this is dangerous. Uh, it's sometimes just because of the righteous that the Lord will spare a place. And when the righteous leave, or when they're kicked out, uh, we read this in the Book of Mormon too, Ammonihah, which they said would ne could never be destroyed. Once they burned the books and burned the people and made Alma and his partner or com mission companion, Amulek, watch it. Um, within a short amount of time, the Lamanites came in and destroyed the city in one day. And this yeah. destruction was so great, they called it what the land of desolation i think yeah and never inhabited again and that's same true of where the tower of babel was it was never inhabited again neither was sodom and gomorrah ever inhabited again and so and we know at one point that before christ came to the americas how many cities were swallowed up burned to the ground and uh, taken care of including their capital city where all the temples were where all the religion was which was zarahemla burnt to the ground in a day, that great and grand city completely taken to the ground. Verses 4 and 5, Heshbon will cry for help, as will Eliela. Eliela? Yeah. Their appeals shall be heard as far as Jahaz. They will sound the alarm to summon the armed men of Moab, but their spirit will be, shall be broken. My heart will cry out for Moab. Its fugitives will reach Zoar, and as far as Eglith, Elishiah, in tears, 
they will ascend the slopes of Luhith on the road to Horonaim. Horonaim. They will raise the cry of catastrophe. Wow, there's so many locations there. It's hard to follow. But basically, you've got appeals. You have cries for help, appeals, sounding of the alarm, asking for help from another nation, broken spirits, fugitives. I guess that would be people fleeing. um, And then tears and... uh, the cry of catastrophe so we can you know the only way i can do it without going a lot into the bible is to try to compare it to something happening today because it took me a lot of time to look up all these things and do <laughs> sure. the stories and then get maps and lay out the maps and uh so you know today if we focus once again on ukraine and what's happening there is our model to see what's going on we could say the we could say the Ukrainian army is broken on, beat up, and they're escaping and running out of their land. We already have seen some of that, but we haven't seen. There's more. I think will happen, and we see them trying to join NATO to get help from their neighbors. And we see, you know, Sweden and Finland are desperately looking for protection from NATO and allies with them to avoid Russia maybe coming into them. And at a certain point, they're overrun, and their nation is in ruin, and they escape whatever way they can to the mountains, to the hills. And in the next verse, we'll talk about the Valley of the Willows, which is interesting. So just to add a footnote to this, there's a program I listened to on YouTube called Redacted. It's a former Fox News correspondent and his wife, who, or maybe anchor and his wife, who discuss news that's been redacted or not covered by the mainstream media he has a program every day 4 p.m eastern standard time and he and he puts it down so he had people on and was showing information that russia has these hypersonic missiles that we don't even have that are unstoppable and there's evidence that they fired six of them out of the 81 that were shot into ukraine and one of them Maybe this was a later batch, but one of them was shot into Kiev and it entered into a a bunker 400 feet underground where there were NATO personnel and other personnel who were killed, like, like a major cutting off of the head of a lot of the NATO leadership. And uh, there's, no, there's no defense system for this hypersonic missile. And they're making them, I guess they've got, they've got they're going three shifts a day trying to make more to replace and to use. It's a very, very precarious situation that we're seeing. In another chapter, we're going to see, um, you know, this one country that Egypt had with all their horses, with all their chariots, with everything they have, which is supposed to be the military might of that day and everything. And this king of Syria comes up to this army and with all their might and everything, they think they are like god like they still have god with them that they can overpower anyone but they don't realize that god has removed his hand of protection from them and the lord allows this king of assyria to wipe out this military might with even though they have more horses and more chariots and more everything else just because they've grown wicked and they've had greater light and knowledge and so they have to be judged accordingly because of stepping away from god 
This is something that uh, Brother Nibley points out, a pattern in the Book of Mormon. The only time that the Lamanites gain any power over them or they go to war or they're being harassed, which is usually, by the way, by people who were previously Nephites who go over to the Lamanites and stir them up to anger. Anyway, the only time this is happening is when the Nephites become unrighteous. Otherwise, the enemies are calm. They're not on, they're not aggressive. Uh, so yes, there's a definite parallel in the Book of Mormon. The only time they have problems with their neighbors, with their enemies, let's say, is when they're they're wicked and their wickedness is rising up. The Lord needs to use that army of Assyria, as you're describing, to humble. But it gets to the point where God's done trying because they're just not listening. They're not they're not going through the repentance cycle. I think it's important to bring up, Craig, here about what happens during uh, Book of Revelations. I mean, we often overlook this, but when the second seal opens, uh, when he, he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And uh, out went another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and they should kill one another, and there was none and there was give to him a great sword. So this man riding on the red horse that was given the power, which red also symbolizes a beginning. And if you translate the word, it can mean Adam and uh, a start also. But when we see the peace is removed from the earth, and I think that we can see many signs of that today, a peace being removed and settling even in our country by the things that are happening, we don't feel safe. And it's just going to continue to unfold even more rapidly than what we've seen. And again, I think rapidly is scary, but it's also merciful. The yeah. quicker we get through this cleansing process, the better. If we because if we have to go through it. So and it appears even though it's conditional, the prophecies are saying we're not all going to be repenting. So yeah. Let's go to verse verses six and seven. For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, the grass shall dry up, the uh, vegetation disappear, and no green foliage shall remain. The surplus they have acquired and their personal belongings they will carry, o o carry away over the valley of the willows. And so... If you've been following, and I, the best way I can see this is to compare it once again to today, um, we had a big um, solar flare this winter that broke down, and they didn't know which way this big thing over the North Pole was going to break. In the past, like I think it was in 2008, it broke towards uh, European continent and Russia, and they had extreme snows, extreme moisture while we were dry. And uh, now that when this broke this year, we got record-breaking snow, record-breaking moisture, while the Ukraine and Russia and even parts of China are the worst drought they've ever had, the dryness over there. And if this pattern continues as they're battling and things, which God could easily do when the people are fighting, he'll withdraw his moisture and withdraw everything else because they're fighting. We could see an extreme drought like this is talking about and a fire starting easily and so as they escape with their personal belongings from whatever country we're going to model here um, if you're looking at ukraine to the south is one of the best ways to escape into moldavia 
and there's some crossings there, but there are tons of rivers and streams and everything going into Moldova. Moldova. And so we could see that happening there in that country. That would be the best place to escape going south if you're trying to get out of Ukraine because the mountains and Russia to the west, which you don't want to go there, the seas, the Black Sea and the you know, the Arctic Ocean up there, and then the mountains on the other side to go towards Norway, Finland and stuff. It's just not a good choice. So you'd want to go to Moldova. It's interesting. Uh, just a couple of uh, points of interest. Jordan Peterson had a woman on who's, I guess I'll call her for lack of a better term, because I don't know the ter technical terms. She's a climatologist. And she describes how the, the, the models that are blaming uh, humans for all of the changes in the Earth's in, uh, environment is very misplaced. And she points out that the models that they work with are extremely flawed and deficient. One of the things that she pointed out was that they don't even account for clouds or how clouds form or how clouds affect the weather. Um, and therefore the model is broken just on that one thing alone. It makes me wonder if these climate models that spell doom for our planet because of humans being on the planet take into account these relatively, I don't know if they're unpredictable, but I wonder if these models build in these solar flares or the impact of these solar flares. I'll bet they don't. Maybe they know they occur every so many years, but these models are deficient in trying to predict what's happening. But the scriptures are telling us what's going to happen. I've been following the weather pretty close, and I have a dear friend. We've been friends since I were eight years old, where he has a beekeeping business up north, a very, very successful one. And so I do things like, you know, hey, the weather's changing a lot. And I was going back just this last week and showing him models of the weather in November and what they were going to say about our winter that we just had from last year's November. They were completely wrong. They, they, in the last couple of years, they cannot predict it. And one of the problems is the solar flares coming and it changes that polar vortex, which changes the the jet streams and then like now off the coast of oregon we got in the ocean we've got a mysterious spring that sprung up and coming and putting water into the ocean it's a warmer deal and we got chile the volcano in chile about to burst and we got another one in the middle of the pacific ocean that the cracks opened up and there's just hot water streaming up into the ocean which is changing the ocean temperatures which is changing the way the clouds pick up moisture so my gosh, it's anybody's game right now. The only thing you can do is ask God what you should do as far as planting and as far as your crops and things right now to pray over your crops and your fields. It's really the only thing we have. When it comes to science and what science does and hasn't done, science has a string of failures, a string of failures, but they're trying. The problem is when you get locked in and say, this is the science. And I heard a quote yesterday. I, want to, I felt impressed to mention it now. And the, and the thing that the saying is, science is never settled. Science is just an accumulation of what we've learned so far, but it's not accumulation of anything that can be learned. So science is never settled. Anyone who tells you this is settled by science, bull, it is never <laughs> settled. And uh, yeah, and, and, and again, using divine intervention, we can pray for things. Uh, this woman, I think I mentioned yesterday, I'm going to say it again, prayed that uh, people just had to pray and and the lava would flow a different way and spare your 
land. Or you could pray and a storm could pass a different way, or the earthquake would crack the ground differently, just because of the prayers and the angels that were there who can protect and help, or at least leave the things that you need to survive after these events occur. These are all things that can be done by divine intervention. If we believe in Christ and the power Christ had, look how he healed people. These are easy things that just require the faith of a mustard seed, or maybe less, maybe half a seed, half, right. half of a seed, for the Lord to intervene and help us. And uh, You know, Glenn Ross and gives some wonderful pioneer stories, one that I particularly love, is a man uh, in the pioneer days, early settling of Utah. He'd been wrongly excommunicated from the church and everything, and they had a hailstorm coming, and he was just broken heart contrite spirit he raised his arms up to this cloud and says god please protect my crops and fields i didn't come all the way to utah to starve to death and the hail stopped on his fence line and piled up on his fence line and he was one of the only ones that hail didn't destroy his crop and he had food for his family it's just so powerful i will tell you a story from my family my wife could would tell it better we had a piece of property up north in central Utah, and we grew alfalfa for a few years. And we had to go up and water it when it was our turn to water. But this one particular summer, we were really busy, and we couldn't get up there. And my wife prays about everything. I mean, mm -hmm. she prays about every little detail in her life. And sometimes she gets answers, and sometimes she doesn't, but she always prays. So this was a time when I was really busy with work, and it was time to... Uh, take the water and we she just couldn't make it up there lots of little kids running around other projects and she prayed about it and the spirit said don't worry about it so she's decided to pass on our water turn she gets a call from our neighbor up there and she's and she'd heard there was maybe some rain that would be up there and so she called and said so i decided to come i decided not to come up uh uh how how's the weather he said he said well your field doesn't need to be watered well why is that <laughs> he said because there was a storm cloud that came over your property and just rained like heck and it, it soaked your property you, you don't you don't need to come up <laughs> that's so a true beautiful. story that happened <laughs> just a few years ago Man. and i've prayed before i've seen clouds depart uh you know there's small little things to to maybe a casual observer it didn't change the course of world events but it blessed our lives. It's, I've seen this happen more than once. Absolutely true. Yeah. Got to stay close to the Lord. Okay, let's go on to the next verse. These are verses 8 and 9 in Isaiah 15. The cry of calamity shall encompass the land of Moab. The sound of it shall reach Eglaim and echo as far as Be'er Elim. Although the waters of Dibon shall flow with blood yet will i impose more than this upon dibon i will bring lions upon the fugitives of moab and on the those who remain in the land this is so interesting and it, it, it did happen in that day and desolation and stuff but the cries all the cries from every corner of moab the waters around their capital city flow with blood. God says, I will impose more than man can upon this land. 
and then you see wild beasts coming up, ravaging anybody that stays in that country, and they begin to chase them out. I mean, it's a Book of Mormon scene when you and they, you know, the wild animals drive out the remainder of the people. When God's children, especially those of the house of Ephraim, stray from their covenants and no longer serve God, God will withdraw his protection from them. We in other countries wonder why such great destruction will occur upon this land. Well, I, you know, once again, I'm going to use Ukraine here. They, Ukraine is mostly of the house of Ephraim. Ukraine has been plagued with corruption since the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Ukraine has faced a series of politician, criminal bosses, and oligarchs who used the corruption of the police and the political business parties to gain power. In 2005, mass graves from the 1990s, were they found them, and they're filled with business people, judges, lawyers, investigators, were all discovered in Donetsk. In January of 2023, several senior officials, including five provincial governors, lost their jobs in a corruption scandal during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine has been a source, a transit and destination country for men, women, and children trafficked all over the world for the purpose of commercial sex exploitation and forced labor. Ukrainian women are often trafficked to Russia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Turkey, Austria, Germany, United Kingdom, and the United States, Italy, China, United Arab Emirates, Portugal, Greece, Israel, Spain, Lebanon, Hungary, Slavic Republic, Cyprus, Netherlands, Serbia, Argentina, Norway, Iran, and Bahrain. I mean, this blew me away. I mean, I know it was a hub, but today as those people have run from these, you know that the people running away, the children and everything have been exploited and taken, maybe not even as sex slaves, but they are are servitude and slaves, and they're working for free, trying to produce things in these other countries. It's just, it's horrific. But you can see this example in this country, and why would he do this to an unseeming country? But unless we dig and see the corruption and things, the corruption of the leaders, we know that from the Ukraine, where they sex trafficked many, um, they used their embassy in the United States to sell children from over here. And uh, that's been covered up a lot. But throughout the world, we really are, as the pro- President Kimball said and uh, one of the other prophets, we're more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no question about it. We just have been, our eyes have been closed and they've kept things secret so that we wouldn't outrage over different parts of the world, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, here in the United States, is 90% of the money comes for sex trafficking from the United States in all of the world. The money comes from the United States for sex trafficking. Do you think we're not right for destruction, that this shouldn't be stopped? And yet we, most of us have closed our eyes and become numb, look the other way, saying it couldn't happen to us. Well, a few years ago, my friend said, the Lord is putting up with our country, but once they come for the children, it's over. And I thought, well, that's not ever going to happen. People are going to protect children. And then I read United Nations this last week. How long they've been working on it, I don't know. You know, decriminalizing uh, sex with minors. Shocking. 
And that's just the tip of the iceberg on the attacks we've had on our children. They're not being protected, whether it's abortion, whether it's uh, influencing them to change their sexual identity or erasing identity, gender identity, uh, when they're minor children. Uh, the speed with which we have flipped and not protected our children is shocking. I mean, absolutely shocking. So there were some. That's that's there, in addition to the sex trafficking. Right. This just happened. This out, just, right out in the open. Well, if you start following the UN and stuff, we've got 70 high ranking officials in the UN, top officials that have been. Uh, or got a lawsuit against them for the sex with children in bad in foreign countries where they're giving food to and stuff. These are just top officials, let alone all the stories of the UN workers in these African countries where they you say they have the food and everything. And these people are starving. They say, well, if you do this sexual favor to me for this kid, I'll give you this food, which is absolutely wrong or everything. And how many people have become pregnant over there with these foreign people in there? It's just sickening. So who's more wicked here? You know, is it Russia and China or is it the UN and the nations that group together with the UN? You know, it's your call. <laughs> well, what does it say in the Book of Mormon? In the Book of Mormon, I think it's chapter five, verse four. The, it's for the wicked, the wicked are destroyed. So it's going to be, that's who fights. That's who ultimately fights before the uh, nature intervenes to try and end it because the earth can't stand the wickedness and is given power finally uh, to uh, cleanse itself. And the Lord is going to someday allow it. And it happens when that spirit is withdrawn and therefore our protection is withdrawn. Really, I don't want to close this on a sad note or anything, um, but you know, this when the servant comes forth and announces these places of safety, and we gather together as Christians of like mind and light heart in God, it will be a small part of heaven. The peace that will come to all of us, we can rejoice in. I mean, this chapter's heavy, and it's a downtrodden, which we will go back and forth from heaviness to lightness. But if you could only see what I've seen in these valleys as we gather and create cities of Zion and serve each other as Christ— it will be far surpassed, and as in Isaiah in one chapter here says, we soon forget all of our wicked leaders and everything and have no more focus except for on Christ and what these cities are like. And going forth, it, we forget all of this terrible tragedy and just focus on Christ. We're going to leave it right there on that happy note. <laughs> and thank you for joining me and for enlightening us about the meaning of Isaiah 15. Thank, Thank you, Sean you White. Craig. Have a good day, Craig. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.